Well, hello everyone in podcast land. This is Karen Wickham, and I am your host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. I want to give a thanks out again to everyone who has listened and supported me on my podcast. It means the world to me, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Today, I'm going to hold back a little on giving out individual thank yous until my next episode because I really just wanted to get down to business and talk about this really important subject, that being about schizophrenia. I felt it really important to do an episode on schizophrenia because it's a word that scares people. It often brings up many different images in some people's minds. Like, that woman is acting very strange. She must be schizophrenic. Oh my God, what is going on? My son's not himself lately. What if he has schizophrenia? I'm afraid to walk in my neighborhood at night because I might be attacked by some crazy schizophrenic axe murderer. These are some of the images. This is what has been falsely portrayed and reported by the news and media alike. In movies, on radio, TV, podcasts, among each other. The fact is, is that schizophrenia is an illness and in no way, shape, or form resembles the image that is portrayed. Many of us understand that schizophrenia can be a crippling illness that hurts people who suffer with it more than they could ever hurt someone. It's a disease that takes no prisoners. It wears out a family and friends who love someone with the illness. They get caregiver burnout. And it takes the lives of those who have it. There are still a few that don't understand what schizophrenia is and may fear it. And that's okay as long as they're not feeding the media machine and spreading false info or robbing the rights of those who suffer from it. Education is important and it's sometimes hard to sift through info and find the real answers. I decided to do an episode on schizophrenia to maybe help answer some questions and give out some information. Now, I do not profess to be an expert in any way, but I do have some knowledge and I've cared for people with it, with schizophrenia. So I'm going to do my best to explain the best that I can And if I make mistakes, let me know. Email me, leave me a message on my Facebook group. Whatever you wish, if you have something to add, I'd I'd like to hear. So I'm going to move forward now and start with the episode. I arrived at work one day at my job in the ER. I was working in an area where many mental health patients are kept (laughs) or admitted and this is an area that's more isolated to help keep the patient more calm but also in all honesty so that it doesn't bring fear and upset to other people in the department. There is a high ratio that day of mental health illnesses to other 
more acute traumatic in, in, um, illnesses. I proceed to that area where there are two lockdown rooms, as they're called. And this is where violent patients or sometimes patients with mental health where there are no other rooms stay. Or patients that are at risk of hurting themselves. The door is locked and only can be opened by the person on the other side of the room. After I get report, I proceed to the area and go check on how everybody's doing. In one of the rooms, there is a man pacing back and forth furiously, talking to himself in a lot of distress. He has been doing this for hours, I've been told. He's awaiting to see a psychiatrist and we're hoping the psychiatrist will come soon so that we can bring some relief to this person by the way of maybe some calming medication. The person has refused to eat all day, not because they're having delusions that the food may be poisoned or things like of that nature. It's because they're so caught up in their auditory hallucinations and delusions that the food isn't anything that they can focus on. I go to try to speak with them and they're unable to make eye contact with me or have any kind of meaningful discussion. And I understand that. And it's an awful thing to witness because this person is in is every bit as much as distress as someone who may be having a gallbladder flare up, that type of thing. For some that might be hard to believe, but it really is. They're truly sick. I go into the room and they let me do their vital signs and just try to talk to them. They're not violent in any way. If there is to be any type of violence, it would be turned into on themselves. I'm in no way afraid. So we wait. Hours go by and finally the psychiatrist shows up and we're able to administer some medication to the patient who at first reluctantly takes it but then does and it has a tranquilizing effect on them and they're able to settle in and, and focus a little bit more they're able to eat their meal and finally get a bit of sleep that's a good thing but what pulls at me is that that's the best thing we can do right now and I'm not satisfied with that kind of medicine with that type of caregiving Eventually, they will be brought to a psychiatric area, put in another lockdown room, and observed 24 hours a day until they are no longer a danger to themselves and are able to roam the ward freely, which is what they really need to do because I can't imagine being in a lockdown room feeling and having hallucinations and delusions. Once I was locked down in the room, <laughs> by accident, I was in there clearing out some stuff and the security guard let the door go and walked away. And there I was by myself in this locked room. And within probably 30 seconds to a minute, I started to panic. Now I knew I was safe. I knew I'd be okay. 
And I knew someone would eventually come around either looking for me or to check in or the security guard would come back. But that feeling inside was terrible. Fear of being trapped. Of having no one to reach out to. Of being caught in my own thoughts. And I have had empathy before. Always. But I really felt it then. And this is with a clear mind. And quickly my mind was not so clear because, again, I felt trapped. Now I was in there less than five minutes, and that was a long five minutes, when the security guard came along and let me out, profusely apologizing. I gave him the stink eye, but, you know, things do happen. What concerned me most initially was that no one was attending to my patients because they didn't know where I was. But what set in me and left me feeling unsettled was what it would feel like to be in there with an uh, acute mental illness. I've always been an advocate for all my patients, but I have a special part of me reserved for advocacy for people with mental health issues, mental illness, mental unwellness, because I believe they're such a marginalized part of society. None of us is free of it. Either we have had some type of episode of depression or anxiety or even something more serious or have someone in our family that has some form of mental illness. So we don't escape it. And I think it creates so much fear in people. And I can understand why. But I can't let someone who's suffering sit in the back end of an emergency room. I can't let someone sit in a room by themselves for hours and hours because we don't have anything to do. We have nothing to offer. But we do have something to offer. We have ourselves. We may not have a lot of time, but we can offer water, ginger ale, some food, acknowledgement that they're suffering. Have them have a hand to hold or some kind of human contact of some form. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, I want to move forward and give some information that I hope is helpful on schizophrenia and what it's all about. Schizophrenia affects 1% of the world's population. So that's about one in a hundred people. It affects both men and women equally. It most often appears in men in their late teens or early 20s, and in women it often appears, or most often appears, in their late 20s, early 30s. Finding the causes for schizophrenia proves to be difficult, as the cause and course of the illness is unique to each person. It interferes with a person's ability to think clearly, manage emotions, make decisions, relate to others. Schizophrenia impairs a person's ability to function to their potential, if not treated. Unfortunately, there is no single course of treatment. Research has linked schizophrenia to a multitude of possible causes, including aspects of brain chemistry and structure, as well as environmental causes. It brings about a state of psychosis. Psychosis, broken down, means psych which is mind, and osis, which is illness. It's defined as an experience or loss of contact with reality 
and usually involves hallucinations and delusions. Psychosis is a common symptom of schizophrenia. There is no blood test or brain imaging for schizophrenia. They have noticed that there are some changes in the minds and the brains of people with schizophrenia, but they're still working on exactly what's going on. One of the first things you have to do is rule out if there are any other comorbid, or that means other diseases or underlying conditions, such as a, a brain tumor and other medical condition like hyperthyroidism hypothyroidism, that type of thing. And different kinds of symptoms can manifest over long periods of time with, in different people. To complicate it further, the person that is suffering may not be able to reach out and ask for help. So it can go unnoticed and untreated for years. It's, it can be slow and insidious and maybe noticed but written off as a eccentricity. It can often take up to a decade for people to be properly diagnosed for schizophrenia. A healthcare provider who evaluates the symptoms in the course of a person's illness over six months or more can help ensure a correct diagnosis. And scientific knowledge is changing all the time and the diagnosis criteria changes as well. Schizophrenia has been categorized to several different subtypes, that being paranoid, catatonic, disorganized, and undifferentiated. Now I'm gonna break those down. The main tool that is used for diagnosing, it's a compilation of diagnosis, information, uh, medications given, it's called the DSM-V or 5. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Medical Disorders. It is the equivalent to a mental health professional's Bible. The DSM-V lists the following as schizophrenia classification guidelines. If a patient has two or more occurring symptoms persistently, Delusions or hallucinations alone can often be enough to lead to a diagnosis of schizophrenia. Delusions, hallucinations, disorganized speech, disorganized or catatonic behavior, and negative symptoms. Social occupational dysfunction in one or more areas, work or school, interpersonal relationships, and self-care. The duration for at least six months and include symptoms from the list above for at least one month, but must include early symptoms over a period of time, initially with less intensity and building with more intensity over time. You have to rule out that the following are not present. Sustained mood disorder, such as depression or anxiety during the episode, direct effects of substance abuse, an underlying medical condition a pervasive developmental disorder such as autism, unless prominent delusions or hallucination are present. Symptoms. There are no single symptom that positively identifies schizophrenia. An individual's symptoms can change over time, and these symptoms are divided into three categories. Positive. 
also known as psychotic symptoms because the person has lost touch with reality in certain ways. The term positive symptoms refers to mental experiences that are added on to a person's usual experience. Typically, they are hallucinations or delusions. Hallucinations cause a person to hear voices inside or outside their heads and less commonly see things that don't exist. Delusions occur when someone believes ideas that are clearly false, such as that people are reading their thoughts or can control other people's minds. Negative. It doesn't refer to negative thinking, but rather to symptoms that indicate reduction of a capacity, such as motivation. Negative symptoms like flatness or lack of expressiveness, inability to start or follow through with activities, a speech that is brief and lacks content, lack of pleasure or interest in life, difficulties with social cues and relationships are common, which are hard to treat because they need to go to work or to school because motivation is needed as well for social function. Negative symptoms can also be confused with clinical depression. And finally, cognitive symptoms pertaining to the thinking process, uh, struggle with prioritizing tasks, memory, organizing thoughts, agnosia or lack of insight. They're not aware that they're sick. This is not a choice or a denial of the il illness. It just means that they're incapable of comprehending it. And this makes treatment really hard. They think, I'm not sick. I don't need help. I don't really understand what is going on in that regard, why people are suggesting it. Unfortunately, medications, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it, medications are crucial for symptom control. And other psychological strategies are also gaining acceptance to augment their impact. Example would be cognitive behavioral therapy, also known as CBT. And then it's a well established as a useful strategy to help people actively manage their hallucinations. Causes. Now, this is where it can get dicey. It can, it's frustrating. Uh, researchers still don't know the exact cause of schizophrenia. They know that the brains of the people living with schizophrenia are different as a group from the brains of those who don't live with the illness. Brain chemistry and brain structure, it is thought to be caused by a combination of problems inherited during the person's development. Uh, some believe that schizophrenia can be triggered by a viral infection of the brain or from mild brain damage, complications doing, during birth. It can be triggered by drugs or alcohol. It's premature to label schizophrenia as either a neurodevelopment, impairment of the growth and development of the brain, or as a neurodegenerative, which is the progressive loss of structure or function of the neurons. And it's possible that both can contribute to that. 1% or 1 in 100 people will develop schizophrenia by the age of 55. 75% of the people who do develop schizophrenia will develop it between the ages of 16 and 40. Women later than men. And children can be diagnosed, but very rarely before the age of 12. And new cases are uncommon after the age of 40. Researchers work hard 
on trying to find the cause and cure of this disease. It's just, it's very elusive. Treatment is an all-encompassing approach. A plan of care is needed to be individually developed for each person's needs. The patient and care provider, like doctor, nurse, social worker, have to build this together. Finding the right medication is important for symptom management and other services are also needed, such as rehab strategies involving work, school, and relationship goals. They're essential and need to be addressed in creating a plan. Peer support is important. A Someone who's been there approach support groups and can also help offer employment opportunities for people with schizophrenia because they've been there. Schizophrenia is cross-cultural and all treatments need to consider and involve and respect the cultures and uniqueness in their values. So here are some treatments. Um, medication. They usually involve antipsychotics or neuroleptics. They help relieve hallucinations, delusions, and improve their ability to think and problem solve. Now, there are some terrible side effects to this medication. It can make someone really, really lethargic, make them very sleepy, make their mind slow down. And to a person who's used to having their mind race, believe it or not, slowing that thinking process down can be quite alarming, very difficult. Psychosocial rehab, which helps support people to live on their own, uh, have their own place, go to school and have a job and socialize. Medical care. Many people with schizophrenia have very poor health because they do not have the awareness that they are unwell or physically unwell. There is a high incidence of smoking and alcohol abuse, obesity and diabetes because of the side effects of medication. There's also a high incidence of depression and suicide. And if there's drug abuse, and there is a higher increase of drug abuse, alcohol, marijuana, amphetamines, etc., because they're self-medicating to help calm the thoughts. Like many, many other illnesses, that's what these drugs can do. And there is no judgment there. It's just that if you're desperate to deal with horrible symptoms, sometimes, unfortunately, that's where people go. Bias. Up to 96% of individuals living with schizophrenia experience discrimination and stigma. Other people are expecting negative things to happen to them or nothing at all because of their illness. Prejudice can come from the outside and the inside of a person. Families, there is an immense amount of stress on the family that provide love and care and protection to a family member who is suffering with schizophrenia. And there is a high caregiver burnout rate. Studies have shown that people with schizophrenia alone are less at risk of violent behavior than those with depression, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, or a substance abuse problem. Now, please, I'm just saying that schizophrenics are unlikely to be violent. I'm not saying that people with depression, bipolar, personality or disorders, or 
substance abuse are violent people. I'm just talking about schizophrenia here. I would love to talk about those other things. So I'm just singling out, just making sure <laughs> that there's no misunderstanding. So because the illness may cause unusual, inappropriate, and sometimes unpredictable and disorganized behavior, people who are not effectively treated are often shunned and targets of social prejudice. The apparent erratic behavior is often caused by the delusions and hallucinations that are the symptoms. Along with medication and psychosocial rehabilitation and other, communication, and other community-based support, they can help those with schizophrenia to go on and to lead meaningful and satisfying lives. Schizophrenia is often mischaracterized as an untreatable disease associated with violent behavior and many untrue and unfortunate stereotypes have been developed, which lead to mental disorders stigma. Most people living with schizophrenia are not violent. Risk of violence is associated with it is towards themselves. And factors such as substance abuse can increase that. Even then, violent behavior is generally uncommon. And the overall contribution of schizophrenic-related violence to the community and family is very small. Studies show that people with drug and alcohol addictions or even recreational users are two times more likely to participate in acts of violence and crime than a typical person diagnosed with schizophrenia. Media, news, movies, TV are all ill-informed or can be ill-informed and reinforce and continue to exploit the most enduring myths around schizophrenia and that all people suffering from this condition are violent. In public opinion, schizophrenia is most often associated with violence than any other type of mental health disorder. The violent behavior is very rare and mostly self-directed. Most people with schizophrenia are never violent and don't express dangerous behavior. Most dangerous behavior is harming themselves and very often they are successful in killing themselves. The highest mortality rate is not through murder but through self-harm and suicide. No one cares about reporting a person who died from suicide because a person with schizophrenia who hurts or kills someone, now that's frontline news. As the saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads. Now, I find some of these statistics to be a bit alarming, and I'm not going to spew stats because things change every day, but I'm going to give just a few stats as of today, as of what's current now. And I have read and studied many, many articles and books on this so that I can give the most current information that I can right now. So a third of homeless people are mentally ill, are schizophrenic and bipolar. Now, let me back up a bit here. I'm talking about North American statistics right now. At any given time, there are more people with untreated psychiatric illnesses living on North American streets than receiving care in hospitals. People with schizophrenia are far more likely to hurt themselves than be violent in the public. Violence is not a symptom of schizophrenia. So if you see someone 
that's on the streets, homeless, and you may think it's schizophrenia. Try not to be afraid. I'm not saying putting yourself in harm's way because people are unpredictable, but maybe you can look at it with a different outlook. News and entertainment and media tend to link mental illness, including schizophrenia, with criminal violence. Most people with schizophrenia, however, are not violent towards others, but are withdrawn and prefer to be left alone. Drugs and alcohol increase the risk of violent behavior as it does in the population in general. And if the illness is untreated, it is more prevalent. And that's a big part of the problem that we're talking about here. One third of the homeless people are mentally ill and there are more people living in the streets than being treated. The vast majority of people with schizophrenia who are in jail have been charged with misdemeanors such as trespassing and not violent crime. And as many as 20% of North Americans in jail are seriously mental ill, far outnumbering the number of mentally ill being treated in the hospital. Up to 5% are actively psychotic. So oftentimes people with mental illness are being punished and not treated. Now, if a crime is committed, there must be some form of restitution, but it needs to be considered the criminal act and given the right combination of restitution and treatment. Schizophrenia continues to be a target for sensational media stories and movies, TV. And maybe next time we see someone on the street that has some kind of unusual behavior, we can look at them with less fear and more empathy. I'm not suggesting anyone of my listeners or the people that listen to this are not doing that, but I'm just putting it out there to the world. I have worked in a, what I guess people would call a, a soup kitchen type atmosphere. It's actually um, a shelter, not where people sleep overnight, but can come to during the day and the evening to get out of the elements of the weather or just have a safe place to, to be. They get, there's breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snacks provided. And there's an area where they can get some basic medical care. And I did some volunteer work in that area. I found that the people that were homeless and came in off the streets seeking help, seeking, seeking care, were some of the most kind and respectful people that I've ever encountered. They were looking for some basic medical care, some human contact, and maybe some clean clothes and some food. And that's all they wanted, was some kindness, some nourishment, and some safety. So maybe we can think it's that they're the ones that need the protection and not necessarily us. Thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to contact me at kwick at stattails.com. K-A-Y-W-I-C-K at S-T-A-T-E-L-S dot com or my Facebook group which is STAT Shocking Traumas and Treatments please come join and join in on the discussion 
I also have a Twitter account, which is stat underscore tales, and a web page, which is www.stattales.ca. I'll put all the information in the show's notes and look forward to from hearing from you. If you have a second, maybe you can go over to iTunes and give me a review. It uh, really helps get the show out there and it helps me know if I can do a better job or just feel the love. Anyway, there'll be no suture room today because I wanted to make this episode and focus in on schizophrenia. It's no less important than the other episodes I put out, but I just really wanted to focus on that. So thank you very much. And thank you for joining me on STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And be careful, because sometimes it's the cure that kills you. <laughs>